down. I'll figure it out. Ah. Well, what a gorgeous day yesterday, right? My word. Who was doing yard work yesterday? Uh, wow, all the hands should be up. I, uh, I did some, but my, uh, my daughter came over, and so we spent some time with them. But I would like to thank you for praying for my wife's, um, her sister, her only sister. She did pass away April 7th. She fought cancer for over five years. You know, we'd go and she'd, uh, you know, we'd go to, it was called the Chicago Institute of, forget, of cancer. So we'd drive there and then, you know, she kept fighting it and everything looked good and it looked like she was on the path for recovery, but then COVID hit. And then her husband brought COVID home and she struggled with that a little bit, you know, about blaming Rob, but um, she knew, um, you know, she got over that, but it was because of that and she couldn't take her medication. But um, I think, I'm just going to put this out there. <laughs> I've, me and Missy's sister, she would, uh, her, her birthday was April 27th, right? She would have been 21st, would have been 49 years old. So, you know, sometimes those guys I'm driving, my wife starts crying, and, you know, and I, I knew something with that, but it was her birthday, and I wasn't thinking, like, hit me in the head. I have, you know, we have our phones and all that, but I just didn't see that on there. But, yeah, Katie, if I can just say this before I start, was very faithful to the end. I learned a lot from Katie. The, we were going there every weekend to Ohio, and then we had to come back. And then I was also preaching to other places, and it just it's just I put a bad timing. I had to preach somewhere else earlier, and the church called me. Finally, I just said no. You know, I, I spoke to Pastor John earlier on this, but isn't that the way it kind of works? Now, I probably would have liked to just keep my mind going on other things, but um, there's times when we just got to put everything down, put it in park. But when I went down there, I didn't speak much to Robert Katie biblically with the Bible. It didn't happen until about the fourth time. Meanwhile, others are saying, yeah, God's going to heal you. And, you know, can our God heal her? Absolutely. But I told my wife I was concerned with some of the people that were down there. I mean, I know they meant well, but they gave her all that encouragement, and we need it, right? Um, but it was all about healing, healing, healing. And um, as time went on, uh, pretty much I said, okay, you're, you don't got much longer to live. So in regards to all these people coming over and they show her verses, and I wanted to, but I figured I'm going to wait. About the fourth, third time, I'm wondering, maybe I should say something. Um, but on the fourth time, they were having their morning study. They always studied the Word of God together, their devotions. And Rob then opened the conversation. So I think sometimes, and maybe it's, not, it's all right not to say nothing, just say you're praying for him or something, but... It's really when it started, and she would, then she started asking these questions. And I think that's why it's important to know God's word. If we're going to try to help others, you know, let's give, give it in context. Can God heal her? Absolutely. But I told Katie, you might never know in this life why. 
Because if you ask why all the time, you're going to go crazy. I didn't tell her that, but in my mind, that's what I was thinking. Because I did that when I was injured back then. And why will get you nowhere. But I did tell Katie, maybe you ought to ask God, what would he want you to learn from this, you know? And she loved her grandkids. And that just opened that relationship. We had service with her. We put the radio on and, you know, for the music. Because at that point, I don't think she could hear, but she might have heard the beat. I don't know. But she couldn't hear. And as we were going there, the last couple of weeks was, um, it was hard. I've never, that's the first time I witnessed that. My wife wanted to be there. And honestly, I didn't want to be there just because it's hard. It was real hard. And uh, at first, I'd go upstairs and then towards the very end, I could hear her screaming, you know, and I, you know, it's like two in the morning. And by the end, she just pretty much gone. Her mind was, I think she was gone one couple weeks prior to this. She didn't recognize my wife. And I felt horrible. And she could. So I told, you know, those are part of the, that's part of it. But I guess during those conversations we had with her, she was trusting God, her faith. You know, we're gonna, I was going to hit on faith a little bit here. Her faith was so strong, I don't think I could have done or gone through. And her staying that firm, I hope I will. But I'm just being honest. She was faithful, faithful, and she said, you know what, Al? I, I just want my grandchildren to be in heaven and so forth. And then um, her dad told me, her dad and mom, Dale and Kathy, are not, they're not saved. They're not Christians. Dale come to me, and he's crying. He's a military guy, if you can picture that. And he's, he says, Katie, I said, what's wrong? He said, Katie asked me if she was going to see him in heaven. That is a good question. And, you know, she, the way she put it, I just thought it was so thoughtful of her. So, you know, when those times come up, those, those are, she saw that as an opportunity still. And I just thought, wow. But, yeah, pray for them. Um, they, definitely God softened their heart. At first they were angry. Katie, they were in missions also, and so forth, and, you know, their first reactions. Why? As we why does God allow suffering? Why would God allow Katie? And his thing was that she loves God, and why would it be her? Why not somebody else? And, you know, the bottom line is, I don't know, right? I mean, sometimes we don't know, and maybe God doesn't want us to know, but pray for them. Continue to pray for my wife. I have a lot. I have eight in our family. I couldn't imagine just having one sister and then pass, passing away. But if I can put this, that happened April 7th. On April 10th, three days later, we have a new granddaughter. And as much as joyful as I was, you know, kind of was going through my mind. Like, she dies. Life goes on, right? I mean, I'm thankful for Isa. Um, she was born three days later. But then, you know, just your mind just starts thinking of these things. She, Katie, loved God. Uh, they were in, they just worshiped, they did, they attended on a regular, they just, everything seemed right. She dies, and Issa comes along, my granddaughter, and just pray, and I pray for their young, I pray for Issa that she would come to know the Lord, even now. She has no clue, but anyhow, just my thought on this, and when somebody's going through something like that, Maybe sometimes it's better not to say so. If you don't know what to say, don't say it. I'm my, I prefer to take that road. And I'm thankful that Rob and Katie opened up. And then Missy and I, I said, hey, why don't we have a service? We did like service for her because she couldn't go anywhere because they could get her sick. So at the end, I just, I, I'm thankful that my wife got to be with Katie as much as she did. You know, she spent a lot of time with her. And uh, Rob's electrician. 
And I'm a mechanical guy, that's what I did before, so I did a lot of electrical work, and I did the HVAC stuff, and I would, have, I would work with electricians. So we had that bond, too, and then just one day I just thought, he keeps it so good. You know, I just thought, wow, like, I mean, he's handling pretty good. And then one time we took a, dro- a drive, he just let it out. So, you know, I pray for him even now. Um, he has his dogs and his chickens, and everybody's kind of moved away. So I told my wife I'd like to make a trip down there. Maybe just a work trip, you know, do some stuff because he's going to sell the home. Um, so he has to put that up for sale. But a lot of things that when somebody dies, I didn't realize all that stuff that has to take place. But with further ado, I'm going to talk about what is faith. In Hebrews 11.1, 1, I'll just read it. You don't have to turn there if you don't like it. But it says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of the things not seen. In other words, for me to understand it better, faith is being sure of what we hope for. And Katie, myself, and if you're a child of God, you're looking to heaven. You're looking for a better place. You know, we're just, what, uh, temporarily just passing by. We're sojourners. And so faith is being sure of what we hope for. That's the future tense. And certain of what we do and why we do it. See, when something like that happens, you know, I know I go to church, I do this, and we can get in a routine, and we kind of know the answers. But I wrote in my own writing this, of certain what we do and why we do it. So why are we doing it? Because we want Katie and others, we want loved ones to know about heaven. Because let's be honest, heaven is real and so is what? Hell is real, right? There's only two choices. And I would, like, I have some family members that are not saved. And we have my father's birthday today. And whatever opportunities I can, I will bring it up to them. But, you know, heaven is real. And I want them to know about it because can you imagine when, if they get there, when they get there, judgment day, God's going to say to those, get away from me, I never knew you. That's going to be a sad day, because we know what that would be like. But if we turn to Hebrews, now we can go to Hebrews 11, verse 23. I'm going to read there. I'll be in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. By faith, by faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that he, the child was beautiful or special. I don't know if that meant the other kids were ugly, but no. I just think he was special. I looked it up, and you know, a lot of them said beautiful, but let's be honest. I say all babies are beautiful. My daughter just the other day said, Dad, no, you haven't seen some of them. Anyhow, your kid is beautiful. If it's your kid, it's beautiful. But it says he was beautiful, and I just added myself special, uh, and they were not afraid of the king's command. And many years, I'm going to go back, uh, many years had gone by. Do you remember um, there was a pharaoh in power, and this pharaoh knows nothing about Joseph and what he did, how he saved their lives, saved the Egyptians. So, you know, all of a sudden, all of a sudden we have this new pharaoh is on the scene, and um, he wants to stop those Israelites from having more babies. So, remember, he enslaves them. He makes them work harder. So, you know, they're tired. and can't have no more kids. Well, guess what? They continue to have. God blesses them to have more kids. And then he tells the uh, the midwives, think about this. If you're a midwife, that pharaoh says, hey, if it's a baby boy, if it's a Hebrew baby boy, throw him, kill him, and throw him in the river. But if it's a girl, if you're a girl back then, you would live. So, but think about that. Uh, the midwives, they're the ones that help deliver the baby. They chose to not obey the king, and they chose to do what was right in God's eyes, and they didn't do that. And later on, it says that uh, God blesses them with their own children, so I'm assuming maybe they couldn't have children. I'm not going to be dogmatic about that, but maybe they could. 
They couldn't because the Bible says that then he gives them families of their own. Just what I find interesting here, Shifra and Pua. Please don't name your kids. That's kind of odd, but anyhow. Shifra and Pua are mentioned in the Bible, but we don't even know the Pharaoh's name. Think about this. God made sure these two ladies were written in there. And, you know, when I get to heaven, if I can remember, I'd like to know who they are. I'll tell you what. Standing, imagine he's the king, like a president, and he says, this is law, and they choose to disobey. Now, don't miss, don't miss uh Let's say, don't misunderstand me. We abide by law, right? We have a government in 1 Peter 2.13. Romans, what is it? Romans 13, I believe. There's government. God's put government over us. But do you remember when Peter said it's better to obey God than man? When something contradicts the word of God, we've got to follow it. And someday we'll, be, we'll come to this day when we're going to have to do that. We don't have to do this right now, but eventually we're going to have to make a choice. Is our faith going to be strong enough to say, nope, I'm going to choose God? Well, he does it. It doesn't work. And, um, but the girls, they come out all right. And it's about this time. I'm going to read this. About this time that Amram and Jochebed, okay, all this is going on. And this couple, Amram and Jochebed, remember they have Aaron and Miriam. It's about this time they decide to have a child. Now, if I was Amram or Jochebed, I said, no, let's not do it now. Think about it. That would be the worst time. There's this decree out there. If it's a boy, and the chances are 50-50, I assume, if it's, but they decide to go ahead and have this child. They put their faith in God, and God, and being that God would protect them. All I want to say about Amram and Jochebed, they're godly parents, aren't they? I mean, how desperately kids need godly parents. See, I'm in the public schools, and, and us ourselves, but man, these kids literally have like two different last names, sometimes three. So it's hard when, when they give me that slip. You know, I might have two different names, maybe one. So I just think, man, they're kind of behind the eight ball. You know, just, so us as Christians, man, we got to love them. Uh, when they come to church, yeah, maybe they're unruly. But you know what? Love them. See them as God would see them. Because sometimes they're just that way. I did a Bible school. I did a release time Bible class in Lansing off Martin Luther Drive. I'll never forget. These kids were, wow. Like, trust me. You know, I'm very calm. I almost couldn't deal with it. There was a fight every time in the hallway, on the bus. And then I, I wonder, like, I thought this. I wonder if I can somehow get out of this <laughs> and just schedule something else. i got to be honest, I did that. I, did, I just, I wasn't used to having kids be that disruptive and then tell me that their dads are going to, you know, kill me or whatever. And I looked at these kids. They're third and fourth graders. I thought, wow, the school did shut down. But I don't know why, but anyhow, it did. But... <laughs> I'm just saying, when we're going to reach people, the community, whoever it is, don't expect them to be like you, okay? They're just not. They're not, they're not going to do that. Um, well, it says, um, so then it goes by, in Hebrews 11, uh, 24 through 26, Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, which is no wonder I couldn't see that. Well, I'll put my glasses on here. It says this, Hebrews 11, 24 through 26, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, okay, that means he's 40 years old by now. And uh, from 23 to 24, you know when we read the verses, from Hebrews 23, 24, 40 years go by. So you read one verse, the next verse, wow, what changed? Well, 40 years went by. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And in verse 25, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Moses had to make a choice, and 
Think about it. He grew up in the palace as a little baby. He had the comforts, um, the luxury. People knew who he was. Man, anything he wanted, he'd just ring his bell. He had a servant 24-7, I'm sure. He grows up in that environment, and at 40, he chooses, he chooses to trust God. And I'm going to have to go right back to his parents again, those godly parents. They instilled, they instilled something with him. And I'm sure Moses, you know, he would go out there. Meanwhile, you know, the Egyptians are getting, they're slaves, they're getting beaten. They're working them to death. And I'm sure, you know, Moses would go over there. Maybe he went to go see Miriam, his mom. You know, I, I'm sure he did. Well, I want to, st- I, on that part right here, I want to read it again. It says, let me see, where was it? Oh, then to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Let me just tell you, take, tell you what I thought when it was brought to my attention, when I was, I was saved at 25, so you can, I'd already done those other things and come home and my car's parked in front of a tree and I'm passed out in front of the door. That's just the honest truth. <laughs> my wife didn't have the courtesy to wake me up and move me, but anyhow, I was 25, just so you know, I, I did that. I opened the door and I fell down and you know, you have the main door, main door's open, but the other one, I wake up in the morning and yeah, I knew I was going to get it. Okay, so just give you, I mean, I wasn't a horrible person, but I had friends, and I sometimes, you know, took it a little too far and should have not been driving for one. I thank God for that. But anyhow, that's a little background on me, I, and she'd be upset with me. But my friends, you know, they, um, they just seemed to pull me back in when I was younger because we grew up together. But on this fleet, these uh, treasure, the, uh, the part about sin... I remember hearing special speakers come to their church and they say, you're going to hate sin, you're going to hate sin and all this other stuff. But I have been doing it and I'm saying, either they don't know the secret or something. I'm just being honest. It's embarrassing, but it's true. I look at my wife and I said, what is this guy talking about? He apparently doesn't sin or doesn't know how to sin. Does that make sense? Okay. So you're hearing these speakers and I'm thinking, hmm. So that confused me, to be honest. It confused me. I thought, no, man, it's, we wouldn't be doing it. We didn't enjoy it. Is that... We connect in there just as, you know, even, you don't even have to be, you could grow up in a church and get saved at a young age, and just some of that, I want to say it almost becomes natural to us, but when that preacher said that, that's, that stumped me, and it wasn't to my pastor, we, we then got saved, and my pastor did a Bible study, and that was the best thing that pastor, Pastor Dan could have done for me, my wife and I, for six months a year, a Bible study. And that guy had all these things I had to fill in. And I almost didn't want to go either because I had to do homework, you know. But anyhow, I'm thankful for that. But I remember the pleasures of sin. But first of all, guys, yeah, it's pleasurable for a season. And then guess what? And then it's, uh, the devil just wants to destroy your, your life, your joy, your passion. He has no interest in you besides drawing you in. And he's happy if he keeps you there. So, yeah. Yes, it's enjoyable, but only for it's not worth it. Trust me. <laughs> Take it from me. And in verse 26, it says, He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. In other words, I'll put it this way, he thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking ahead for his great reward. Can you imagine, like Moses, I mean, he had it all, but he thought, He'd rather suffer for Christ. Now, we live in an age, I, I'm thankful for the age that we have now, for, uh, just to do with uh, communication, uh, social media, question mark. But, man, we can find out anything we want. 
And if we look at media, um, I just, on a commercial, I saw Kardashians or what, what, Kardashians or whatever, supposedly rich people or something. But I just saw that and I thought, and then like this lady and a girl trying to, uh, aspires to be like her. Okay, yeah. I don't, today I'm not too sure about our role models there, but I'm just saying this guy had the wealth, everything, and he says, I'd rather suffer for the sake of Christ. Again, I'm sure his mom and dad probably talked to Moses. You know, hey, this is God, Yahweh, the real God, the one who created the heavens and earth. But Moses was willing to give that up. And I would have to ask myself, how would I have done? How about you guys? If you were in that predicament, man, you got it made. You're in the palace. Look at your palace, and you're going to see all the slaves working like crazy, getting beat up. But I thought of that when I was thinking of this. I thought of my dad and mom being out there. And that changed everything. Huh? Moses probably saw Amram, his mom and dad. So when I was thinking about it, man, it had been a hard choice uh, to leave the palace to go there. Every, our few, our uh, society right now wants to reach to that level, right? They, that's their pinnacle. That's, that's their, their, their paradigm, their model. They want to get there and then have it all. And they think life's going to be rosy and they're going to live happily. Up. But anyhow, as you know, that's not the case. But Moses, I believe, probably saw his people out there, his mom and dad, and he probably thought, you know, my mom has told me this, has told me this about God. And, um, and I'm thankful, and be thankful for mothers. My mom, she, she was, a, they started as a Catholic, so that's what they were originally. But um, and just by the way, when she was uh, going to, to Mass, it was all done in Latin. My mom and dad didn't know, didn't even understand a word of it. <laughs> they later told me that. They, they just thought the guy sounded really cool. But that's how they did it. It was done in Latin. Think about this. The priest has taken his time to speak in Latin, and probably, who knows, probably hardly nobody there knows Latin. So my mom, they were involved with that for many years. So uh, when I come along, they weren't doing that anymore, but my mom, I remember her telling me that. But anyhow, Moses is choosing to leave that all behind. And when you become a child of God, I don't say you have to lose it, but you know, pretty soon you, got, you have new um, you know, you have new things on the horizon. Your friends, trust me, it's important. You've got you to gotta choose better friends. I found that my, one of my best friends, Drew, I just said, dude, hey, this is it. the last time. Because now we're married, and now he doesn't want my wife to come out, and he doesn't have a wife. And, you know, so he's just, hey, pick good friends. And, yeah, you don't have to be uh, bumping people over the head with the Bible, but, you know, choose those. You need those other friends that are not Christians, too. You know why? Because you need to. Well, you need a witness to them. So if I had to go back again when I got saved and everybody told me, dump all your friends, just it's up to the individual. But for me, I wish I would have kept closer ties with them now because I lost that great opportunity. Pastor John, awesome, we get in the ministry. We're all boring people, pastors, missionaries. You know, we're just the same kind of people. And you don't get to see other people that much. So, yeah, I would say if I had to, if I had to do it over again, I probably would have kept some of my friends. They, they just like doing other things. Well, one day, oh, so I put this. He puts his trust in God. Uh, Moses, he was raised. You guys were talking about idols just up here. They worshiped idols. They had many idols. The God of the sun, all these idols. And they were tangible. They were, um, you could see them. You could touch them. And uh, Moses here is going to have to put his trust in a, ready, an invisible God. You can't see him, right? Let's be honest. Uh, I thought of that when I got saved back then. God, you know, they said, oh, he's here. I said, really? I don't see the guy. But I'm just, when you're a new Christian, those, expect those things from people, you know? Like, I remember somebody thought, hey, that's disrespectful. I said, dude, I don't, I don't see God. And later on, you'll understand the, the Holy Spirit. 
This guy, Moses, was used to seeing the idols, and they could touch them, and they worshiped them. But he has, um, he has a different future here. And one day, Moses goes out, and what does he do? He kills an Egyptian. He sees a fellow Israelite getting beat up. And Moses just goes out there and kills him. And then he does what we would probably never do. He looks around. Nobody's seeing him. He buries him in the sand. Think about it. This is Moses. Guys, there's hope for you and me. Because these guys, uh, I always thought, man, I've never murdered somebody or killed him. You know, if you would ask me back then, I'm going to heaven because. But Moses here, God's going to use Moses. But remember, he killed somebody. His anger, he tries to hide it. He covers it up. And uh, it doesn't work. Well, he runs to the desert because Pharaoh is going to. Pharaoh's going to end up killing Moses now. And um, so he goes out there and he spends 40 years. First 40 years, he's in the palace. Poor guy. And now he's out in the desert for 40 years. Now he's going to miss all those, uh, all those great things that he had, I'm sure. But anyhow, he runs to the desert. And um, I think God kept him there for 40 years because he had probably an anger problem. I can tell you, me, I was a 10. My wife is here. That's another embarrassing thing. <laughs> but I had an anger problem. My mom told me I had an anger problem. I would get so angry. And I don't know if I told you, see no watch? I broke probably 10 watches. I would just throw them against the wall. I was, I was an idiot. I was dumb. <laughs> okay. I, and then I have to go buy another one two days later. But my problem was that. My anger was I would throw the watch. And it would be over dumb things. And at that time, yeah, I could tell you, yeah, I've got like that. I'm glad my wife stuck with me. Get out of there, guys. Just run. And, but my mom was praying for me. And, you know, it wasn't until I became a child of God and when somebody would ask me, how do you know like, that there is a God that he loves you? You know, I could say, yeah, he loves me. But you know what I could say? He's changed my life because I don't have that uh, anger coming out of me right away. Before, Honestly, I could be happy and then boom, something can go wrong. And my wife, she would attest to that. I was that kind of person. When I became a child of God, little by, it didn't go away right away. But little by little, he worked on me. And I thank God for that. I just praise him for that. Well, by this time, God's people, he's out there in the desert. There's like set from 70 people. Do you remember when Jacob went to Egypt because there was no food? There were 70 of those, 70 people there. Now at this time, there's, they've grown to a nation. People think anywhere from two to two and a half million Israelites. Has God been faithful to his people? They're grown. And I was thinking, if you go back to Genesis 12 too, you don't have to. God made Abraham a covenant, a promise. He said, man, I'm going to make you a great nation. At this point, Abraham is... Um, Let's see, he's probably 90, he's 90 years old, and uh, pretty soon he doesn't have children, he doesn't have children, and when he does, he's 100 years old. And his wife is 90 years old, Sarah, and God tells him, man, I'm going to make you a great nation. Imagine what he was probably thinking, I'm 100 years old, I only have one child at this point. But I put in here, put yourself in Abraham's shoes, I'm sure he didn't understand the impact that would have on the rest of humanity. But without that covenant... You can't have the main storyline. It shapes the whole Bible story. It started with a covenant, a promise God made to Abraham. I'll tell you what, any promises, and there's over 7,000 promises in the Word of God, he kept them all. Wow, think about this. How many times did we break promises? But he's kept them all, and it started way back in Genesis 12. And I only bring that up because as a new Christian, I wish now I would have started in the New Testament, but they started me in the Old Testament. That was not, that was hard. I, I definitely didn't understand a lot of things, but 
So maybe if you're newer here, maybe start in the New Testament because can you see all these questions coming to my mind and I don't get it, but once you understand the covenants that God makes with his people, you'll have a much better understanding. And um, anyhow, I'm going to go to he- read Hebrews 11.28. Now back to Hebrews 11.28. It says, by, it was by faith that Moses commanded the people of Israel to keep the Passover and sprinkle the blood on the doorpost so the destroyer would not come and kill their child or their firstborn. And um, in Exodus, right there, I'm going to just, if you, we can go to Exodus. Let's go to Exodus 12, and I'll t- I'm going to read, and I'll tell you where to go to. There remains one more plague. Okay, there's been nine plagues and have been inflicted on Egyptians. But God is going to give Moses some instructions. And he tells Moses, before that last plague, the death, you know, of their children, he says, Moses, we're going to start a new calendar year. Like, we're going to start over. Moses, we're going to begin over. It says a new calendar year. So this is the beginning. Things have not gone well. So Moses goes and announces to the whole community that on the 10th day of this month, each family must choose a lamb or a goat. Each family. And then, or, a, or one animal for each household. So they're going to have to get one lamb. They're going to get it on the 10th day. In a minute, you're going to see what they, what they do with it. But I'm going to, go, I'm going to read Exodus 12.5. Let me read 12.5. It says... Oh, help me if I go to Exodus. Exodus 12, 5. It says, this is what he tells the people. They're all there. The whole community's there. I don't know how they did it. They didn't have microphones back then, but I just think, you know, I think of weird stuff like that. There's a bunch of people. How do you get this message? Did they do it per community? I don't know. He says this, though. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male of the first year. You, you may take it from the sheep or from the goats. Now you shall keep it until the 14th day of the same month. So they get it on the 10th day. They're going to have to keep this lamb for four days. Kind of be like a little pet if you're a little kid, you know, like a little cute little pet. Then the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it at at twilight. And they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts on the lintel of the house where they eat. So they're they're going to get the blood, put it on the sides of the doors and on the top. And then... They shall eat the flesh of that. They shall eat the flesh that night, roast it on fire. So, just as you read it, think of all the instructions. This God is, is telling them it must be done this way. You got to roast it in fire, and then verse nine: Do not eat it raw. Boil it all with water, but roast, but roast it in fire. Its head, its legs, and entrails. And then it says, and thus you shall eat it with your belt on your waist, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand. So you shall eat it in haste. And um, I'm going to read 13, because then I'll, I'll try to put it together. And in verse 13, it says this. Now the blood shall be a sign for you. You imagine God's telling these guys, hey, God, uh, you know, like it would be uh, Jacobet or Amram. Guys, this, is gonna, this blood is going to be a sign for them, for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be on you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. So this day shall be to you a memorial, and you shall keep it. As a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, you shall keep it as a feast by an everlasting ordinance. Hey, so when they do this, uh, they're going to do it year after year. We just had the resurrection, remember, on Sunday? Um, remember the Passover? I believe that was on Thursday. Now, the Passover, they, guys, this is uh, when the disciples were out there with Jesus. And hey, remember, he said, This is my bread breaking, this is my. Guys, the, in the New Testament, what, 
they were still doing what God commanded them to do. And I tell you, this is so important because when Jesus is up there with his disciples, man, on the very next day, he's going to die. He's going to be crucified. But they're, take, they're partaking in the Passover. And what we just read, it says this, the lamb must be one year old without defect. So you're going to have to go out there and get the best one you got. You're going to have to kill. You're going to have to have a one-year-old lamb. It must die. The blood must be applied to the top and sides of the doorposts. An innocent animal must die. Now think about you being a young kid and you're seen dead. And trust me, there was like two million plus. It had been a, a bloodbath. And if I was a kid, I wouldn't get it. Remember they started me in the Old Testament? Man, I was thinking, wow, this is what So just, you know, if you can that's where, you know, I'm getting, I get, they started me here in the beginning. I'm, and I was reading this, and I thought, wow. So they, they care for it. They take care of it. It's their best one. And God's going to require their best lamb or, or sheep, whatever. It must die. The blood must be applied. And as a little kid, I know I'd be asking, hey, Dad, what, what's going on? Why would you kill that? What did he do to you? I mean, think about it. As a little kid, you know, I, I minister to young kids. So I think of that. I try to think that way. It would be very confusing to them. But from the beginning, an innocent animal had to die. Do you remember when Adam and Eve, they sinned? And uh, I think in Genesis 3.21, God had to make clothing for him, And he had to take some skin, some animal skin. It is possibly that it was uh, two lambs, one for Adam, because he sinned, and one for Eve. So even back then, all the way back in Genesis, that blood, innocent Innocent animal had to die. They had to use that blood. And I'll talk about that a little bit more. But remember, in Exodus 12, 3, 12, 3 it says, they required one lamb per, house, per household. Adam and Eve, it was one lamb probably for each. Here, it's one lamb per household. And I'm just going to run, just then I'll put it together. In Leviticus 16, later on, remember the Day of Atonement? Once a year, the high priest would get a goat. Actually, they would have two goats. And one would go set free and they'd throw them over the cliff or whatever. And the one goat would die and they sprinkle the blood on the mercy seat and the most holy place. So the high priest, once a year, would get that blood and would sprinkle it on the mercy seat. So from Adam and Eve, they, it was just one animal, right? And here in 12.3 Exodus, one animal per household. In Leviticus, one animal for the nation. Well, in John 129, it says, remember John sees Jesus come in the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world? When Jesus comes on, on the scene, one lamb himself for the world. See how that God, just, God is so good. He's going to send Jesus. They're no longer going to have to be doing these sacrifices. He will become the ultimate sacrifice. He will be the perfect sacrifice. God needed somebody to appease his anger, and the only one was his son, Jesus. For the world, not just one person, not a family. And, um, and I, I wrote, why did God use innocent animals? Think about it. Why would he use an animal to deal with sin? The atoning sacrifices, that's what they were. Atoning means the cover. Because remember in the Old Testament, their sins, the reason they had to keep doing them over and over and over again, because their sins would have to get covered. They sin again, they'd have to get covered. And... Um, in which way the, the, the people sins, God, he provided this system where, okay, they saw their sin and he provided a solution. And that was an innocent animal dying over and over. 
Atonement involved the sacrifice of an innocent animal by the blood. That animal, God would see. Through that animal, God would see the sins of his people. Make sense? Through that animal, God sees the sins of those people that sinned. Well, what God did for us at Calvary during that resurrection, God sent his son Jesus. So God sees the blood of Jesus. When I sin, God sees the blood of Jesus. And that's what keeps me on track. Guys, do we sin as believers? Absolutely, we sin. But I'll tell you this. When God sees the sin, he sees Jesus, the blood of his son. And I, I think that's so important because I would beat up myself years ago thinking, gosh, why do I even go to church? It seems like I'm always back in the same spot. I try to do this, and I end up back here. I'm trying to do this, and I end up back here. Hey, the apostle Paul dealt with that too, remember? He does things he doesn't want to do. and So maybe it's an encouragement it doesn't give us a license for it, but, you know, we're going to do that. What the devil wants for you and he wants for me, like he, he did well with me. I told you you didn't really change. I told you you're all full of baloney. You're, and honestly, I, I dealt with that for a long time. So I, I had a pastor. I would talk to him. I said, look, man, I just have these thoughts coming to my mind. How can, be a, how can I call myself a Christian? I'm, I'm still doing these things. I don't want to, right? But we do them. But think about this. An encouragement is when you sin, God sees the blood of Jesus. He doesn't remember your sin no more. Guess the only one that remembers it? The devil? And whew, he tells me. Just keep that in mind. God does not. He, okay, we sin since, you know, we probably who knows how many times a day, right? But God doesn't keep that record. He remembers it no more. And I think that is a reason to be happy. So what does that mean for you and me? It, it means that God should be worthy of my time. He should be first in my life. For many years, he wasn't. Uh, and he should be the one that reigns my life. And uh, sometimes, you know, back then, I, I still struggle with that. <laughs> I kind of want to be in the driver's seat. That's what, what does it mean to us? But sadly, as I prepared for this sermon, I realized my own selfishness. When at times, I don't bother to talk and to pray to God. There's times I don't do that. What a shame, huh? I'm just being truthful. And then I read, and I, you know what? <laughs> God loves me and he loves you. And uh, you know what you do? Just do it the next time. Pray. Is there times I forget? Absolutely. I'm just, but you know what? I need to definitely have him on, on my mind at all times. And then I wrote this. When at times I don't bother to talk to him, how he must feel. And you know what? When, when he forgives me, it's over. <laughs> it's gone. It, um, so he chose me. Because he's worthy of all our worship. And I just want to, for this verse in Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace, we have been saved through what? Faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Can I just break it down for me? For by grace, I've been saved through faith. It's not my own doing. So when I think of me like sinning and messing up and, you know, it wasn't my doing. God chose me. He knows. He knows I'm going to struggle. He knows. So what he wants me to do is call upon him, repent, ask him to forgive me my sin, and guess what? He'll do that. And I uh, am thankful that we do have a God that loves us and cares for us. Man, don't believe the lie of the devil. He's the Bible. John calls him the liar. He's the liar from the beginning. So may you be encouraged that um, Moses, he killed someone. Did God still use Moses? Absolutely. He became the deliverer took God's people out of Egypt. I think of David. David murdered somebody else. I'm just saying, 
I think sometimes we like to compare ourselves. I like to compare myself to the Old Testament instead of, you know, instead of the New, because these guys I can relate to a little bit better, you know, than Paul. But regardless, man, if you put, just put God first. Don't quit. Don't quit. I don't know if I told you, I did many, many years ago. For six months, I stopped going to church. And when these guys would come to my church, the deacons, I'd hide. <laughs> and this time, pastor comes to my house, and I, he was so quiet, I didn't hear him. <laughs> and uh, it's bad, or I would have hid too. But pastor didn't come to my house, and you know, I'll never forget. I thought, oh, no, you know, I, I was embarrassed. And I, and I just, you know, I had those thoughts already, like, okay, just don't say nothing. <laughs> and you know what he told me? He said, hey, I miss you. I'd like to see you sometime. He didn't go on no more than that. We talked, and then next Sunday I went back to church, sat in the back. I've been gone for six months. Why I tell you this is because God is faithful. He doesn't give up on us, and we should never give up on him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love. You're so good to us, and Lord, uh, we're undeserving, but it's because of your faithfulness, your goodness, that you continue to call us. Lord, I just pray for someone here who's maybe away from you. They're wandering. Lord, may they realize and know that you'll take them back in a heartbeat. If they repent, you with open arms would accept them back. Lord, we need each other as a family, as a community, as a church. Lord, we need to pray for one another. Lord, I thank you for those men and ladies that prayed for me in the past. And Lord, I thank you and give you um, all the worship. And Lord, you desire our worship completely. And Lord, help me to be a better follower of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name we ask, amen.